The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the Rocketeer returns. Steven Universe is on your mobile device, and Baltimore faces mortality head on. Plus, Scott Pilgrim creator Brian O'Malley returns to monthly comics, and Ghost World! How does Dan Clowes hold up 20 years down the line? Your major spoilers crew has assembled from the far corners of the galaxy and also Washington to weigh in. So without any further ado about nothing to fear but fear itself, the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 688 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you, everyone, for using that Amazon link over at Majorspoilers.com. Every time you use that link, doesn't matter what you purchase. It's not going to cost you anything extra. A little bit comes back our way. Um, So here we are once again. Matthew, Rodrigo and me are here. Hello, fellows. And uh, let us jump into the news. Three items we could potentially talk about this week. We can talk about the uh, new Superman that has been unveiled for the Supergirl series. The Rocketeers are flying it to the big screen and Wizards of the Coast and Roll20 team to bring games to the virtual tabletop. That's a long sentence. Let's spin that wheel of destiny and see where we land. Round and round it goes. Oh, there it stops on the Rocketeers are flying to the big screen. Now, we've kind of heard rumors over the last, I want to say, maybe two years since about the, uh, what is it, 30th anniversary, 20th anniversary of the uh, Rocketeer? 30th. Yeah, 30th anniversary. There's been rumors that Disney wanted to maybe reboot the movie uh, and remake it. And a lot of people were kind of upset about that. But now, through uh, The Hollywood Reporter, we hear that Disney has hired Max Winkler and Matt Spicer to write a script that's currently titled The Rocketeers with an S. (gasps) That's true. The Rocketeer comic book by Dave Stevens was uh, heavily influenced by Commando Cody. Um, Rocketeer turned into a fantastic little movie that did crappy at the box office. (laughs) But uh, in home video releases, it has earned a huge following. And this is probably one of the reasons why they want to bring the movie back in some way, shape or form. This isn't going to be a reboot. According to what The Hollywood Reporter says, it says set six years after the original Rocketeer and after Secord has vanished while fighting the Nazis, an unlikely new hero emerges, a young African-American female pilot who takes up the mantle of Rocketeer in an attempt to stop an ambitious and corrupt rocket scientist from stealing jetpack technology and what could prove to be the turning point in the Cold War. So what are you guys' reactions to this, Rodrigo? I'm interested. I think that, um, you know, the Rocketeer is such a existence, such a like specific moment. I'm interested to see what they do, you know, essentially pushing it forward into, into history. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously I'm interested because they've made a, a, a strong choice in, in casting a woman and, a, and an African or, or in writing a woman and an African American as the lead. Uh, because we actually don't see a lot of, uh, you know, what were black people doing during the Cold War in the United States? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, we just kind of don't get that at all. Yeah. Matthew, what are, you, what are your reactions? I was wrong. I guess it is 25 years. I'm definitely interested. I think that as a sequel, 
I'm more interested than I would if it were a, a reimagining. What year did the original take place? Was it? It was pre-war. It was, it was, it was pre-World War II because that like was the 1939, maybe. No, it would have been earlier than that. It was um, like 36, 37, uh, I believe, is when that was taking place. It was after – I mean it was still when um, the U.S. was friendly with uh, with Nazi Germany because uh, the whole uh, Nazi uh, blimp flying into Los Angeles was, right. not, a, was not a big thing. But uh, So he, here's something that's taking place at the tail end of uh, the Great Depression – right, right in the middle of the Great Depression um, – mm-hmm. And it has a very iconic look to it. It's got the very uh, retro, uh, or not retro, but at the time, the uh, Art Deco look to it. Uh, So it is very specific. And the shape of the rocket pack, the shape of the helmet, which the two were not created by the same people, uh, but even the the shape of the uniform, the leather um, pilot's jacket and pants Mm -hmm. and everything, has a very specific 1930s vibe to it. So trying to push that forward to the 1950s and late 40s, early 50s at the at the point of the Cold War really mm-hmm. seems like, how are they going to do this? I mean, I really see them maybe not not saying that it's a sequel, but just making a nod to that there was this other guy who had a rocket pack and went off to fight mm-hmm. the Nazis. Um, well, I think that's going to be really odd. I, I, I'm going to bet that the that it's not the original rocket pack design, but it's going to be some modern take or 1950s take on the Rocketeer look. And that's well, the Bill, thing that Bill would be... Campbell is 25 years older. So right. if this is six years after that, it's going to be hard to have really much of anybody from the original movie show up, except for maybe Jennifer Connelly well, and have, have them seem to be six years. No, no, no. I'm not saying that they're going to be in the movie. I'm saying that pushing that aesthetic into a cold war setting is going to look either out of place Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's going to be a whole different look uh, that follows that fifties well, that fifties vibe, which isn't a horrible thing. And, but that's why I'm saying that a lot of people are confused and going back and forth online and saying, "Is this a reboot? Is this a remake? Is this what?" And some people are like, "Well, if it's a sequel, it's not a reboot." But in this case, it might be kind of a might be kind of a reboot, but in a way that it kind of fits into that universe. Kind of like weirdly, every sequel to the. Uh, 90s Ninja Turtles yeah. franchise. Yeah, this yeah. is like we're gonna just change a few things as we go. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it could be. I, I think that's something that can get lampshaded pretty easily, right? It's like mm. in the Rocketeer, um, it's like this technology is like new and experimental, and and it looks it has that like same look as like this like world of the future. Um, so in in a movie that takes place during the Cold War, it might be old. They might be like, I can't believe that you're flying around in this thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's it looks terrible. It doesn't have any like big exhaust pipes. Co- I don't know what was doesn't it have like? giant fins. Yeah, yeah. In the in the fin- it doesn't, yeah, in the it, doesn't fin- have, it doesn't have doesn't look spaceman-y enough. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look like a steel capsule shot into the moon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it'll be. I think it'll be interesting to see how they change the aesthetic um, yeah. and. And I th- what what's nice about this is that they're not dismissing that there wasn't a Rocketeer before. Right. Um, and we know from the IDW comic series that, yes, Cliff Secor does go fight Nazis in World War II Europe. And uh, so that's kind of interesting that they're kind of at least alluding to that or at least telling those adventures. I'm confused uh, about the six years part. If it's six years later, that wouldn't even put us at the end of World War yeah. II. Well, um, 
Well, I guess it just says maybe... six years after Secord has vanished while fighting the Nazis. So oh, this could be after the original Rocketeer. Oh no, you're right. After yeah. and after Secord has vanished while fighting the Nazis. So this could be at some point when he's gone off to the war. This could be like 45. It could be six years after 1945 or 43. Yeah, if that's, or if like that's that. the case, it's not phrased very well because no, it really it, yeah, does it's... give the impression that it's six. Oh, mm-hmm. okay, okay. So it's like six years after the original Rocketeer. And, and after, after. no, nope, see, it's like so it's that's almost a subjunctive there. clause. Well, and yeah. this isn't, and again, too, this isn't the official synopsis, right? This sure. is just something that a Hollywood reporter has uh, grabbed a hold of from their inside Disney peoples. The, this is not, and this is, uh, you know, this hasn't even been put into production yet, except that they've hired the writers to write the script. So it's potentially moving forward if they can get a good script. I would love to see. Uh, Billy Campbell at least show up in the last 10 seconds going, hey, you did good, kid, and uh, and, and going on with that. Or at least getting a little bit of Secord getting lost during fighting of the Nazis at the beginning, uh, you know, stashing his jetpack away somewhere where this um, the girl finds it, uh, the, pat- the pilot finds it and becomes the new rocketeer. So, Could be interesting. Yeah, I'm kind of excited about this. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be interesting. I think it's uh, something that uh, people will eat up. Certainly, I love the Rocketeer. I think it's a fantastic movie, and I love the the design. Uh, I love the comic. Obviously, it was one of my favorite comics in the uh, in the '80s. Uh, trying to track those down mm-hmm. because they were so there hard were like to find. Four of them in the '80s. Well, right. I mean, they were so hard to track down because they were what put out by Kamiko or something, and. Uh, um, and and there was not a regular release schedule on it so if you found it you grabbed it and um it -hmm. it was hard to put together so i I really have a fondness for it and certainly my kids love watching the rocketeer movie so it'll be interesting to see what a modern audience's take on this will be like hopefully they don't turn it into like a jason bourne kind of thing oh i don't see why not i mean you can still do a jason bourne thing and have decent movies it's a question of, with The Rocketeer, it was very clearly a period piece. Can you keep doing period pieces in various time frames with advanced technology? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it is it is tricky. And this is possibly one of the trickiest things that you can do. If you look at Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Whoa. No, right. don't that's look at that. They, look that's away. That's what they did. Look away, Marion. Well, and, and I mean, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, you know... That's exactly what they did. They were like, okay, so Indiana Jones is a, what, 30s guy? Mm-hmm. Um, he is a pulp guy. He is going to secret locations in the middle of the Amazon or India or whatever. Um, and so they were like, okay, well, this movie happens 20 years after that. So what was popular then? Space stuff, right? Nuclear stuff. So let's have Indiana Jones deal with that. It seems like a smart idea. But um, it's not. I think, well, I think right off the bat, it rubbed a, a lot of people the wrong way. It made the universe seem uh, not cohesive, right? It's like because this is not the sort of thing that Indiana Jones deals with. It's like I don't know. It, it would be like having. I mean, I can't even think of anything right now. But uh, you know, it just kind of like it just threw people off. And then on top of it, the movie isn't great. I think. It could have been salvaged through screenwriting, but it, it just kind of turned out not, not all that great. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we'll keep an eye on this and see if it progresses further. 
no date or on a release, but uh, the Rocketeers with an S may be flying. Alan Arkin is still alive, and the man has not aged since 1990. There you go. All right, listeners, you can head over to Majorspoilers.com and check out these stories and a lot, lot more. And if you are a Major Spoilers Patreon member, you can get a bonus track. Also, if you're a Major Spoilers VIP member, you can get a bonus track this week where we sit down and we talk about Wizards of the Coast and Roll20 teaming to bring you a virtual tabletop experience with all those modules. Uh, what's Patreon, you ask? Well, a lot of people have been asking us, hey, Stephen, we really love the idea of what you're doing with your, your uh, Major Spoilers VIP site. Uh, we'd be happy to contribute, but we'd really do it if you created a Patreon page over at patreon.com to uh, let us sign up and do over there because we were already supporting so many other people through Patreon and other other things that people have said. And so, yeah, we're doing it. We have this. Uh, it's available now, patreon.com slash major spoilers. Uh, you can contribute as little or as much as you want. Uh, our very first person who signed up uh, signed up for a $50 a month pledge. That's how awesome these people are. And uh, we want to see the Patreon uh, membership grow. And you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash major spoilers. All the same benefits that you would get over there at the VIP site. You're not going to be losing out on anything if you currently are a VIP member and, and you wonder, uh, should I be becoming a, a, a Patreon member? You can do that if you want. There's If you're happy the way it is now, you're not going to lose out on any content. Uh, it's all right there because we want to make sure that uh, if you want to support us, that there is a way for you to support us. And you can sign up today at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Yay. All right. Uh, news is done. Let us jump into some reviews. Reviews. Uh, I'm going to start off this week with, uh, well, how about you, do you, Matthew, since uh, Snot Girl uh, came out last week? It did. Snot Girl number one from Image Comics, the return of Brian O'Malley of Scott Pilgrim fame to monthly comics. I got to tell you, the title of this book is the reason I'm here. And the, the title is revolting. No, the and title is Snot Girl. The title is utterly revolting. I think it's just the word snot for some reason sets me off. It's a personal thing. But I had to figure out what in the world could this book be about? And it turns out to be about a young woman, a lifestyle blogger named Lottie, which rhymes with snotty. Stay with me on this. There's more of this coming. And the first issue is really, really weird. And it's weird in a way that I'm not sure that I'm getting all of, which is a good thing and also a strange thing. Uh, the art is not by O'Malley himself. The art is actually by da, 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 Leslie Hong. Thank you, Leslie Hong. And I really, really like her work. I really like the way this book looks. But the thing about it that's weird is I'm a 45-year-old male, and I feel like I can adjust to things and I can adapt to different uh, storytelling kind of bits and pieces in accoutrement, if you will. This feels like it's trying a little too hard to nail the internet millennial cool girl thing, which maybe it is. I don't know. As we go through this, we, we meet uh, Lottie and her friends, and she has scheduled something called a haters brunch, but nobody showed up because all the haters are busy, and her friends aren't going to want to hang out with her. So she hates her friends, but it's okay because she, she meets a new girl, and in her head, she names the new girl Cool Girl because all of her friends have names in her head. Not their real names, but names that she calls them, like Coffee Boy and... Uh, something girl and fun girl and weird girl. And it's a really 
almost off-putting, intentionally off-putting premise to where our main character is a little bit awful. We've seen this before from O'Malley in his previous work. Scott Pilgrim's a terrible person. But throughout this issue, there's this underlying question of what exactly is going on. And about halfway through the issue, Lottie gets a new allergy medication. Because while she's perfect on her Instagram, in real life, she has problems with her allergies causing her to constantly have the sniffles. So that's why she's called Snot Girl, apparently. And, of course, the book ends with what may or may not be a murder. But all of that kind of comes together in a really compellingly weird, but not entirely satisfying and complete first issue. And in a way, that's good, because you want a first issue to kind of hook into you, but make you want to come back and figure out what in God's name just happened in the previous 22 pages. But then there's also that question of, I like to call it good mystery versus just plain mystery. Um, Abed from Community called it the lost factor, I believe, where there's a question of, Yes, I want to know the answers, but do I want to deal with these people long enough to do it? Right mm -hmm. now, I say maybe, because the art, while beautiful, is also really grotesque in that, you know, our main character generally has lime green mucus coming out of her face. And it does end with a very sudden and very strange and very violent moment that I didn't see coming in a good way. And throughout this whole issue, there's this this kind of overarching theme of, you know, vanity and falseness versus the reality of a situation. Is this girl finally going to come to the realization that she's awful and that it's not that her friends are avoiding her because they're terrible. Her friends are avoiding her because she's terrible. <laughs> and that, that I think really makes me want to come back and figure out whether she's going to, to get the whole story. I am still revolted by the name and the premise. And of course, the, the good part about it at the end is there's a little cartoon from O'Malley explaining how she got her name. And it's based on him having terrible allergies and getting allergy shots. And it's a cute story. And it, it kind of fills in some gaps, but not all of them. So it's definitely above average issue. It's not what I hoped it would be. But it's also not what I feared it could be. So three out of five slices of meatloaf for Snot Girl number one from Image. Now, is this an adult? Adults only so. mature readers. If it would, it so would it's say one of it, it would say one of the mature. few Image books that isn't. Yeah, you would know if it. You would know if it was a mature readers because of the. It would have language, nudity, uh, ultra violence. It has some language. It doesn't have any nudity. Your violence. It does have some cute little moments and some maybe she has a terrible crush on cool girl, but no overt sexuality or violence except for, you know, that part where somebody dies. Yeah. Well, I mean, somebody's head doesn't explode on panel or anything. Well, not on panel. So it's probably not a mature reader's book. I'm not saying that somebody's head doesn't explode. I'm just saying not on panel. Let's see. Snot girl. Was this out? Snot girl. This out I want to say that week the or two weeks ago. Ooh, was it two weeks ago? Ooh. 
You know, I think you're right because it was the week that we did the SDCC coverage and I bumped it and then somehow last yeah, week I it did is, it. It is not a mature reader's book. It's it's 12 days old. I'm sorry. Yeah, way to go, Matthew. All right. Uh, out, out, this, out this week, I'll save the stick hitting for later. Um, out this week from Dark Horse Comics. It's a book I we've been following since the first issue in this, in this arc. <laughs> it's Baltimore Empty Graves number five, uh, written by Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden with art by Peter um, Burling. Or burg- burgling. Uh, this is a story about, you know, witch hunter, monster hunter, uh, Lord Baltimore and his team of uh, companions going up against the Blood Red Witch and the Red King. And this is the culmination of that story in which the crew is surrounded by uh, ghosts, inspectors, and undead. And they have to fight their way to a hidden place where the Blood Red Witch is trying to raise the Red King from beyond uh, by inhabiting one of their fallen companions that we met in the first issue of this series. Um, it's pretty intense because Baltimore is just like, I fear no, mo-. he just totally loses it. And it's like screaming. I fear no monsters. I am what God's fear. I am what uh, devil's fear. I fear nothing. And he's just going on trying to do a killing rampage. But two of his friends who have been out doing research show up at the last minute. And while they fight off the, minions that are trying to swarm Baltimore. And I mean, this guy is getting it left and right. He's getting a uh, knives in the arm and in the throat and in the side of the head. And they're just trying to tear him up. But he's like using his stumpy leg to punch uh, a hole through a zombie and stuff. What ends up happening is they hold him back so that the Red King can inhabit uh, their fallen friend. And Uh-oh. even though this infuriates Baltimore, he's like, I could have killed her. I could have stopped all of this. This series ends with this revelation of, Yes, the world may now be coming to an end because the I guess the void opens up in the uh, things from beyond space are starting to invade Earth at the end of the issue. Uh, but they make this this comment of now the Red King is in a human body and is now mortal. And that's where the series ends. And you may be saying, Stephen, that's a horrible place for a series to end. But you have to know that in this world of Mike Mignola, Hellboy, BPRD and Baltimore, uh, this may be the fifth issue of the Baltimore Empty Graves story, but it's like issue 37 of the entire Baltimore series. So the very next series that we'll pick up, we'll pick up right after uh, this one, but it will be um, Baltimore fill in the blank title number one, part 38 of the ongoing series. So it's just the way that they've titled the arc that we've talked about this before, Matthew. It does kind of make, um, organizing this in a comic catalog, a little odd, a huge pain in the patukas, but the art in this is fantastic. The, uh, spookiness that starts to come from the moon and from beyond space as it's invading earth. And everyone's having this realization that it may be the end times indeed is fantastic. Seeing Baltimore just totally lose it as he's trying to kill the blood red witch and prevent the red King from, from appearing on earth is great writing. This was a fun book. The downside, as I said, is it leaves you with that cliffhanger at the end of a miniseries, and it's going to cause some people to say, really? What happens next? So I'm giving this four and a half slices of meatloaf out of five. It's been an incredible five-issue run. If you know a little bit about the Baltimore series, then this is worth picking up. I think Matthew went into this series not knowing anything about Baltimore. And Pretty much nothing. You seem to be okay with the first couple of issues. Yeah, they... I mean, you can get into it. I think we've read some Baltimore on Dueling Reviews mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. But, mm-hmm. yeah, there. 
I didn't come in knowing what was gone going on in those previous arcs and I was not lost. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely worth picking up. It was a lot of fun. Art is great. Story. Great. Four and a half slices of meatloaf out of five Baltimore empty graves. Number five out this week from dark horse comics. Rodrigo, you've got uh, not Steven Universe, the new TV series that the new season has kicked off or whatever the super bomb it is. Yeah. Um, you have something Summer different for us this Steven. week. Yeah, I have Steven Universe soundtrack attack for Android. I picked it up on my phone this time. It's good times. So it's uh, it's a video game. And uh, if you guys will recall, a while ago I reviewed Attack the Light, which is the which was the previous Steven Universe uh, thing. This is very different. Uh, that other one was basically this like little. Uh, RPG type thing where you had like four characters and you got to choose what their actions were and then had a few like real time like tapping and swiping stuff to uh, boost up your powers. This is a rhythm runner game. Um, if if you've seen stuff like that before, uh, it's basically games in which you tap buttons or tap the screen or do some other action in time with the beat um, and the characters uh, take actions based on that. Um, it's also essentially the the same system that Guitar Hero uses, mm, uh, or okay. or any of those games. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. Um, obviously, a big selling point of Steven Universe is its music. You know, Steven Universe has a great soundtrack. Um, and you do get to play through levels that have these uh, remixed versions of the songs from the show, uh, which is nice. Also, some kind of like generic songs as well, because there's like a thousand levels that you play through. Um, another interesting thing is that you get to make your own gem, which is... Uh, probably a big uh, is a big draw for someone like me because I, I really like character customization um, and it also gives you that's what gives you stuff to spend because uh, anytime you, you beat a level you get a certain amount of like little crystals that you can use to buy things uh, or you can uh, watch an ep uh, an ad from Cartoon Network and get toys as many uh, which is kind of where the game's economy comes from i think there might be actual like in-game purchases that you can make but largely the game seems content to not push that and just make you watch ads or give you the option of watching ads to essentially add to your uh arsenal a little bit faster um because also one of the things that you can buy are basically in-game little cheats things that allow like give you more forgiveness for missing beats or whatever um so it's all pretty interesting. Uh, for me, it's these games are weird because a pretty good rhythm, um, and but a lot of the time, the games will flip what they're asking of you. So it's like if you are playing without paying attention to the music and you're just tapping everything when the little indicator tells you to tap then it's one thing. But if you're listening to the music and you're like, okay, so all of these taps are on the downbeat and all of a sudden the the game switches is like, okay, we're going to do the melody now. Beep, boop, 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 beep, boop, beep, boop. And it's like, it just like throws me off so hard to like, because I'm like getting like 5,000 points, right? I'm just like on the beat, 
on the beat, totally on the beat, no problem. And I was like, oh, we're doing the melody. And I was like, I don't know that one. Ah! And I like freak <laughs> out and start like tapping like crazy. Um, so, you know, I, I guess that that's that's the inherent challenge for me. The fact mm-hmm. that um, really kind of enjoying uh, finding the rhythm to a song works for me and then just like completely against me in in a lot of ways. So I have to like stop listening to the music and just watch the thing uh, when I'm going sometimes. And I don't know if that's the way it's intended to go. I have no idea. Um, it's fun. It's okay. Uh, you know, Attack the Light had a deep, weird little storyline. This one, I don't know if I just haven't gotten far enough to see it, but I get the sense that because it's a much simpler, more active game, you know, RPGs are created in such a way that they have a lot of room for story. Um, and, uh, a, a little game for racing is maybe not, not as, a uh, not as conducive. Um, altogether, I'll give it three and a half slices of meatloaf. I will say that even though my phone is old, it hasn't crashed it. And I really expected it to. And I, it seems like it's gotten closed a couple times, but mm-hmm. I'm still running it and it's uh, doing fine. Excellent. Cool. Thank you, Rodrigo. And thank you, Matthew. And listeners, if you want to find more reviews, you know where to head. Majorspoilers.com. There's a lot of stuff over there. And, and I know that there's so many of you who are listening to this podcast right now who may have never visited Majorspoilers.com. Today is the day. Go over there, check it out. See what stories we have up there. Check out previews for upcoming comics. Find reviews, find commentary, find videos. All sorts of stuff can be found at Majorspoilers.com, including the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Week, 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 Last week, since we had the uh, San Diego Comic-Con coverage, we didn't do a poll of the week last week, so I'm just carrying over last week's poll to this week, and basically sent in from a listener, who would win in a fight, Ant-Man or Atom? Matthew, who would win in that fight? See, there's a difficulty here because we presume that they're both just shrinky guys, but they're not. What it really comes down to is a question of since they can both shrink, you can throw that out of the equation. And what you have is a guy who can manipulate his own mass for superhuman strength and punchy, punchy and flying around and a guy who controls an army of ants. And. It's tough. It really is a hard goal for me to say who's cooler. But what it really breaks down to is when I play D&D, I never want to have a familiar and Rodrigo hates it. But if you have an army of ants, that doesn't necessarily stop the guy from swooping in and punching you with 180 pounds of force. And since you're six inches tall, it's probably going to drive your forehead right back into your butt. So I'm going with the Atom because the Atom's ability to manipulate his mass outweighs, if only slightly, the army of ants um, who are not army ants because those are native to South America, but ants in an army uh, that Ant-Man would bring. Regardless of the Ant-Man, regardless of the Atom, the power sets kind of remain the same. Yeah, I also went with the Atom simply because the ability to alter mass, and even if you were being attacked by a swarm of ants, uh, mm-hmm. the Atom can actually shrink down to smaller than the ants and mm-hmm. get out of any of their bites or, you know, yeah. ant ball thing that they do on you when they crawl up your or leg and bite you. Punch them really hard. Yeah, punch them really hard or transfer their mass punch. into the uh, mass of a power fist into Ant-Man's head. So no I just went with Atom. It's out with Iron Man. Uh Rodrigo, who would who would win in a fight, Ant Man or Atom? Um, 
I would probably end up giving it to the atom just because, um, you know, there's like a lot of molecular stuff going on there. It's like it's it's really difficult when you go DC characters versus Marvel characters, because I feel that most of the time in Marvel protagonists, there's like this actual restraint there. Of, mm-hmm. of like a writer at some point in its history being like, well, maybe we shouldn't go this far with it. Obviously, Wolverine accepted. Um, but it's like with DC, it's like, nope, the Atom is going to shrink so much that he actually pops out in a different universe. And he is like now the king of that universe. And he comes back with an army, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the sort of thing that we see. That's um, an actual is, story. He did not yeah. make that up, Faithful Spoiler. Yeah. Which that's is actually an- the plot of a Mork and Mindy episode, too. Two parts. <laughs> Which isn't, it's not bad. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, but in DC, it's like the power level slider doesn't, like, literally doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything. It's just right. there for show. It's like in the Marvel, whose line is it anyway? Yeah, in Marvel, it's a little bit more granular. It's like, this guy can beat up Spider-Man, but he can't beat up Thor kind of thing, you know? Um, so, yeah, I'd give it to the Atom, because in, in this sort of contest, I think you'd give it. Uh, and, and as a clarification, in D&D, it's not that I hate that you don't want a familiar. What I hate in D&D is when you uh, put words in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> it reminds me of that time that you said, <laughs> yeah, no, no, that was, that's a quote. That's a direct quote. Yep. Verbatim. All right. It looks like it's three to O. Uh, yeah, in in favor of the Adam Matthew. How does everyone else vote in the uh, major spoilers poll of the week? The major spoilers poll of the week has a lot of votes, two hundred eighteen of them, and it's about three to two in favor of the Adam. Forty percent of the votes uh, leaning towards our man of the ants. Sixty percent, most of which do reference the uh, ability to shift your mass back and forth to the Adam. So sixty percent which is the difference between 40% and 100%. And if you add them together, you get all the votes. So stay with me on this, people. Math is hard. Not really. Who drew that Adam? That looks like a Rob Liefeld. I don't, I don't know. It probably is a Rob Liefeld something or other. It, it was a, somebody cut it out, and it was like somebody turned it into a mouse pad or something. Oh, uh, it looks like a Liefeld <laughs> Adam on this yeah, yeah. weird wood back. Yeah, so they and just took a picture of it. I swear, if you look at that Ant-Man, he looks kind of like he's got Wolverine sideburns. I bet, it's, I bet it's Wolverine in the Ant-Man costume. Oh, uh, Wolverant. Wolverant. Or yeah. Antarine. <laughs> or Benverine. Who knows? <laughs> it could be an episode, a lost episode of Zoobly Zoo. I was going to say Zoobly Zoo. That's what I was thinking of. <laughs> Zoobly Zoo. Zoobly Zoo. You guys are old. Stuck in oh, your- come on now. Zoobly Zoo. You would be old enough to remember Zubilee Zoo. Oh, uh, just because Ashley isn't here, so I, I just oh, you have my. Not that Ashley may be old enough to remember Zubilee Zoo. No, Ashley would have been born the year that came out. Uh, but Ashley, it probably like, ran and reran in reruns on PBS until 2010. Yeah, but PBS is an American thing, and she grew up in Canada. Uh, what is it? The uh, Canadian broadcast system. CBS? I don't know, but I. Th- it's behind the tunes on much music is what oh, okay. she would have been watching. Yeah, there you go. All right, listeners, uh, if you want to shift she the balance of power. She was when Robin Dagger. Well, so her. where is Ashley this week? She is out actually watching the Suicide Squad movie um, nice. this week, which comes out. And she and Jason Inman will be doing a review of that. You're probably, depending on when you're listening, Hello Future People, 
If you're listening to this on Tuesday night going into Wednesday morning, it will probably be up first thing Wednesday morning. If you're listening to this uh, the week after the uh, Suicide Squad movie comes out, it's already up on the Majorspoilers.com website. You're welcome. If you're listening to it in the year 2019, then I they've for probably done their over. Suicide Squad uh, Part 32. Suicide uh, Squad 2, this time Will Smith dances. I bet he dances in this one. I bet you by that year, the whole DC universe will have been rebooted. You think? Yep. I for, think. for the movie rebooting, universe. Rebooting a movie universe? That's insanity. Why would anybody be a do new, that? A new Flash. Ezra Pound will be replaced Ezra by, Pound. I don't know, T.H. Lawrence. <laughs> Ezra Pound. <laughs> yeah, Ezra Pound is playing the Flash. And Jason Moa Moa is playing Aquaman. <laughs> and then Better Than Ezra is yes. playing right, better uh, than Ezra the and, Metal Man. Right, and Daredevil is playing Batman. And uh, humorless Superman is playing humorless Superman, which is good. If you're missing, if you're missing out on some of this uh, awesome talk, listeners, it's probably because you're using really poor headphones. And if you want to get a really great pair of headphones, you need to head over to tweakedaudio.com. Head over to Tweaked Audio. They've got some great styles, colors, anything to fit your fashion sense. And even if you don't have any fashion sense, they've got headphones for that as well. These headphones are designed for durability. They are great for the noise reduction. They are great with music and talk. Normally, these things sell for $19.95 to $34.95 and up, but because you're a Major Spoilers listener and because you like a deal and because we love you so much, when you use the checkout code MAJOR at tweakedaudio.com, you're going to get 33% off that price. So head over to tweakedaudio.com, use that checkout code MAJOR, tell a Major Spoilers sent you, and uh, enjoy listening on your new headphones. Thank you, Tweaked Audio, for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers podcast. Let us talk Ghost World. Ghost World. Now this this uh, is an indie comic, true mm-hmm. indie comic. Appeared in uh, Dan Klaus's um, Eight Ball series, mm-hmm. and his one. I don't. I want to say it's won some awards, Matthew. I know it's got a lot of high praise. It has. I. I think it's got an Eagle Award. Yeah, um, Rodrigo. What is this story about? Uh, Ghost World is the story of. Two friends, they're teenage girls, and they mostly hang out together and badmouth people. Mm-hmm. And and I mean that's kind of the main action of the piece. You know, right. a lot of emotional stuff, a lot of kind of growing up stuff happens in between, but they mostly hang out and badmouth people. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is the the two characters, um, Enid and What's the Rebecca. other girl? Rebecca, Rebecca have just recently graduated from high school. And so they've got this time. We don't know how long, maybe a year uh, that it takes place after their high school graduation. And they are somewhat driftless. They don't have any direction in life. They don't know whether they're going to go to college or not go to college. And Enid is a little bit more um, troubled, I want to say. Becky, mm. a little bit more grounded and down to earth and likes to do things that typical teenage girls like to do. Uh, and yet they're friends. And over the course of the story in, I think, what, six chapters or six different um, issues combined into this trade paperback, they mm-hmm. kind of drift apart from one another. And so this is one of those things that a little bit of a coming of age story mixed in with some teenage angst mixed in with a whole lot of 90s uh, yeah. uh, thrown in there. Uh, yeah. But we st- slowly start to see these two separate and this is what often happens when you're when you're leaving high school is that your best friend from high school may not be your best friend a year after high school because you've both moved on to do different things. And I think that's kind of the, one of the more interesting aspects of of this book is that 
that examination of how they drift apart in that they both kind of have a thing for the same guy. Um, they just have very different interests. One of them really likes to do crazy things. The other one doesn't. And uh, it, it kind of is spelled out in between all the little hate-filled uh, conversations that they have with one another. Mm-hmm. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts and reactions to this uh, collection, Matthew? Well, I remember reading some 8-Ball in 1990, 1991. And early issues of 8-Ball are a lot more fragmented and a lot more satirical, like really black humor, mm-hmm. nothing is sacred mm-hmm. satirical. So this feels like, especially at the time it would have come out, this feels like Clow is really kind of coming to terms with his style as a writer. It feels like a very personal work. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me coming back to this 25, 23 years later and reading the whole thing again because I remember reading this and thinking – when I was 24, 25, thinking this is really kind of accurate. This is deep mm-hmm. and meaningful. And now, now I read it and I'm like, man, would these girls just kiss and get it over with already? And I don't know if that's just a function of my age or if it's a function of the way the material, the way comic narratives, the way storytelling has evolved over the last 20 odd years. I mean, Reading it all together today, this feels like the story of two girls who can't admit that they're in love with each other. And it may just be a subtext in there that I'm picking up on and going, why don't they follow this thread? But it feels really it's, – it's like you're getting thrown into the mundanity of their day-to-day lives. And that's great. And in 1994 and 95, that's exactly what I wanted to read as a 25-year-old was – I wanted to get, you know, really just immerse myself in the lives of these people and, right. and understand how they feel. And now I'm just like, but this is, you know, I mean, this is, this is the slacker generation, right? I mean, it's, this it's is our generation. I know. That's what I'm saying. This is what, <laughs> this is what, this is pure we were generation going X. Yeah. This is, this is the, this is that slacker mentality. This is that angst that we talk about. This is the, this is what young people were thinking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, from this a mentality the, standpoint kind of way trying ways. to make yourself feel better about not being cool by pointing out how uncool yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. else is yeah and today they'd be hipsters or they'd you know this is what the internet is today is what these two are this is what a, a <laughs> blog is uh, today i'm not going to go right? i'm not going to go that far no. um but it i mean you can see some parallels between what they're what they're going through and what people are going through today right rodrigo or not oh absolutely i mean Kids are kids, always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these are two smart girls who are not, who don't have a clear direction. It's like this This story repeats itself. The The words are different. The, cor- the, the phones lose their cords, you yeah. know, but. It's, go ahead. Yeah, it's the, yeah, but it's the, it's this, this is the same story. But I wonder though, because it is so mired in VCR and talk television and you know, magazines and stuff would, is this lost? Do you think the overall story is lost on people today because they're trying to figure out, you know, the girls freaking out about going into a, a a sex store Mm -hmm. uh, for once. And and today people are like, yeah, I've seen like that 20 times Mm -hmm. before I ate breakfast this morning. I think, well, and 
Yes and no. I think that's an overgeneralization. You know, there are ch children, teenagers specifically, have access to more material than necessarily a child of Enos generation would and more easy ways to go on the Internet and accidentally find something incredibly perverse. But mm -hmm. I have had in the 21st century the conversation with grown women who are like, oh, I could never go in that store. Tee hee. It's weird and creepy. Go with me. And, and uh, you know, I did this as a 25 year old woman and we went into the store so she could just look around and buy something. And I was just basically there to take the curse off it. So I, I don't necessarily know that that, that portion of it, again, Rodrigo well, is guess, right. There's a lot of universality to right. this. I think the big question for me is when you first read this, this story, where you are in your phase of development is probably going to crystallize how you feel about it. Because I remember reading this when it was aimed directly at me, my age, my generation, me as a person. This is exactly what I wanted to read in comics. The Dan Clowes, the uh, Charles Burns, the uh, Robert, what's his face with the head. All of these independent comics of the, of the early 90s really spoke to me. As a young man and as an older man, I look at this and I still remember that. And I, I look at this and I feel like comparative to, say, a similar narrative like the movie Say Anything, which has a lot of tonal and story line similarities to this. I feel like that movie has aged better than this narrative. Right. And part of that is the fact that this narrative doesn't try to tell us a linear story. It puts us in Enid's world and Rebecca's world, and it, it sort of just leaves us there. And one day they're, they're having a garage sale, but it turns out they don't want to have a garage sale, so they walk away and somebody steals all their stuff. And she wants a car, but she doesn't know how to drive, and then suddenly she's taking driving lessons and buying a hearse. You know, it's, it's that thing where you know somebody, but you only know them a little bit and every once in a while you check in with them and three months have gone by and suddenly everything in their life is different and now they're driving a hearse. That's mm -hmm. what reading this story feels like yeah. to me. I guess for me, it, it just it, it just feels super dated and that's, that's one of the concerns that I have if someone were to pick this up for the first time. Mm -hmm. Is this too mired in its time period for the story of these characters to, to come out? Hmm. I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't say so. Uh, I, I was, I was probably too young to get hit by ghost world when it came out, you know, um, this is actually the first time I'm reading it and yeah, there's like, there's a few things, a few things that probably wouldn't happen anymore, but the majority of this is about hanging out with your friends about, you know, basically the basic alienation that kids feel from adults from each other from the world um and two girls kind of trying to come to grips with it honestly to me the most dated thing about this is kind of like the weird like uh uh gay stuff like all the mm -hmm. uh like all the the kind of the, the homophobia i feel that like uh, at least i hope that current teenagers wouldn't just immediately resort to that to kind of rib each other. Right. Or if they did, maybe they'd feel bad about it afterwards. Sure. I think the hardest part for me to swallow in this story 
is the part where the main character starts talking about the artist, about what a great artist mm-hmm. he is. Right. And he inserts himself yes. into the story. And yes, she does insult him and call him creepy. But we start out with one of the characters in the book describing the man writing the book as this amazing, cool artist. And I'm just like, ooh. I don't that, remember that. that is, yeah, part. that is weird. Yeah. Is. That's weird and that's awkward. And I just, you know, you got to write the story you got to write. And there's probably a reason why Dan did that. And I, I generally trust him as a writer, especially if we get into the later stuff that he's putting together. And I mean, even in the crazy early Velvet Glove cast and iron issues, there's something. Even the the weakest issue, even the weakest story, there's something really compelling about the voice and the characters and the things that Dan Klaus puts on the page. So even though I hate Enid and I hate her mm-hmm. and I hate her and hate her and hate her, I hate her in, a, in an affectionate sort of fraternal way where I just you, you kind of want to cuff her on the head and tell her it's going to be OK. And for God's sake, stop being such a whiny schmuck. If that makes any sense. <laughs> In only the way that it makes sense, Matthew. Um, well. So, yeah, I don't I don't like either of these characters. And I and so by the end of the book, I'm kind of like, well, you both have kind of made the nest that you're in. You've 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 made your bed and now you you have to sleep in that. You have to live with the reactions. Mm-hmm. As I was doing some research uh, on this book, I, I came across this thing, this theory where apparently a lot of people who get to the end of this book think that Enid leaving town is an allegory for her committing suicide is that she was actually committing suicide in the end of this book at the end of this tale. She's so, she's so upset about losing her friend Mm -hmm. and not having any direction in her life that she ends up going off and killing herself. And, uh, Klaus, and you know, there's a lot of people that have this theory, but Klaus is like, no, that's not what, that's not my intent. I don't know where people are getting this. So I, I was wondering, do you guys get this sense that when she's driving off, that this is her committing suicide or, and, and that's kind of where this whole ghost world thing, the words starting to appear are, are, are shaping up that this is like a life review for her. I, no, I, I did not get that. Yeah. You know, so everyone on the internet, no matter what we're doing, there's always somebody who will tell you that any story is a character's dying dream. Well, but the fact that there are just so many people that it's like mm-hmm. the main, the main theory on how this book ends, I just found it yeah. first of all fascinating, and second of all, when Klaus is saying, "Oh no, that's definitely not what this the end of this yeah. is," it's I was fa- just like, I was like, well, maybe I maybe I'm reading this wrong if that's how other people are seeing it because I totally didn't see it that way. Yeah, I think there's a fundamental sadness to Ghost World, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's like when it's like when Enid goes in and she tries to kiss what's his name Kevin or mm-hmm. Josh, Josh or Josh or Josh, yeah, or yeah. Um, and then she like kind of collapses on the couch and starts crying and goes home and cries some more. It's like, that's to me, I'm like, that's not depression. That's being a teenager. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. having all these emotions and thinking that feeling like having no context for how important things are, you know, and just being like, everything is simultaneously so stupid and so important at the same time. So I never got the feeling that she was like overwhelmingly depressed any more than a slightly kind of depressive 
young yeah. woman would be, right. you know? Yeah, sort of so it's like, place. yeah, it's like when, when she sees them at the diner and they're hanging out and she's changed her hair and everything. And then she leaves. I just got the, that sense. So it's like, they're just, uh, they've just drifted apart and that's okay because they've actually been drifting apart all book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I just like did not did not get the suicide angle on this. I think she's doing a lot better by the end of the book than she is at the beginning of the book. Yeah, I think she's yeah. more self aware of that. She needs to figure out what she's wants, what she wants to do with her life. She doesn't right. know what she wants to do, but at least she's willing to go and explore what she wants to do, as opposed to Becky, who's just going to live in this unnamed town for the rest of her life. Mm. Well, and, you know, she found the boy that she liked, liked her back. And when you get to the end of this story, it's really two different takes on the same thing. Rebecca is making the best of the situation that she is in, and Enid is leaving. And we can get into the questions of, you know, authorial intent and is it there if he didn't mean to write it. You can definitely see where people are getting that. But when I get to the end, I felt kind of a hopeful thing. This bus is driving off into something different. She has accepted, uh, you know, she's clearly got a more adult sort of look. And obviously it's just as fake as her young look, which I love because she's wearing like a, a haircut. She looked like a secretary in 1964, but she's trying to take on a new kind of a new shell, a new self. And she's leaving and she's going off to find something new to make herself into. She's trying to grow up. And that's not something where I think this is a terrible, sad ending and she's killing herself metaphorically or, you know, textually. Yeah. It feels like she's kind of evolving into something different metaphorically and or textually. And I think people are looking at that as the end of youth being a literal death rather than a, you know, a metaphorical tarot kind of death where you're not dying so much as you're becoming something new and different. And I don't know. I, I'm a little bit confused by how much time takes place in the book. Yeah, it could Mm -hmm. be. I mean, it's not over a course of a couple of days because her hair changes so much. Um, well, if you look at the last two pages, they look like they're about 35. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, I thought they were 17, Bobby. Well, my guess is it's within a year of graduation that all this takes place over a course of a year mm-hmm. um, because they're talking about, yeah, maybe I'll go to school. Maybe I won't go to school, trying to find a place in, in where they want to go to school. So that's just how I read it. I, it, it may be taking place, you know, over several years or decades, but I don't think it's sure. decades. I, I literally think that it's a course of a year of, of these two friends drifting apart. Yeah. And, you know, we all have our embarrassing high school poetry in our past. And this story in a lot of ways is sort of a crystallization, I think both for the characters and in some ways for the writer, because I think there's, he has, he has hinted that there's some autobiographical nature to this. And it definitely feels like there's some autobiographical nature to this where yeah, he doesn't he doesn't say outright um, who he's borrowing this or if the people that Enid and Becky are real people. Mm-hmm. But he's heavily implied that, yes, these are people that he knows. Right. And, you know, if you look at the art, there are certain things where a character pops up and they're like suddenly photorealistic. And I'm like, is this is this meant to be somebody I should know or 
what's okay? I'll just I'll I'll roll with it. Thank you, drive through. So what's a what's a bottom line on this for you guys? Do you like this book? Do you not like it? Do you recommend it? Not recommend it, Rodrigo? Uh, I didn't. It's it's weird. Um, I didn't hate it, you know. And usually, <laughs> usually that comes across like that's that's like a bad review. Uh, but it's not like this is what this is the response that goes for the elicits in me. It's this this kind of thing. Like it's like, well, these girls are jerks, but they're kids, and it's like they don't. Nothing really happens in the book, but actually, in their little teenage hearts, lots of stuff happens in the book. It's a book that's like small and quiet and mundane, but also very real. You know, so for me, I would say if that sounds interesting to you, you should definitely check this out. If you know, if you want capes and tights and punchy punch and fighty fight, then this is not this is not a this is not a book about actual ghosts uh, having battles in their ghost world. Um, this is not a book about the Phantom Zone, like I thought to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm like, where's Zod? Yeah, exactly. That's not Quexel. Yeah. So uh, for me, you know, the the bottom line is I'm I'm glad I read this, especially because it's one of those like big kind of early 90s, like this is what indie comics is about kind of things. Right. Um, Was it in the early 90s? I thought Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, it's this is this uh, ghost world is kind of important uh, if if for no other reason that it's kind of uh, like the. Uh, in a lot of ways kind of like your love and rockets and and kind of stuff like that is just kind of fits into that moment in time uh so yeah i'd i'd recommend that if you want to see that if you want to see the the story like a a story that is weirdly interesting about two girls who have no real altercation but still grow apart yeah i'm gonna agree with you rodrigo i didn't hate this book uh but i also didn't like this book uh this is a book for me that uh, I found the two two characters very hate-filled, very spiteful, um, just not a lot of endearing traits in them. And I kind of really didn't care what happened to either one of them at the end because um, they kind of deserved what they got on both sides of, of, of their friendship. Um, that being said, I don't – I wouldn't recommend going out and buying this book, but I do recommend that you go and check this out from the library – just so you can see what is going on in in indie comics of the 90s. And really, this is kind of what's going on in indie comics today. This is kind of the same stuff that you're going to see uh, tackled in, in, that, in that scene and in that world. So from that aspect, I say, yeah, go ahead and pick it up. It's, it's worth checking out, but you will probably have very mixed feelings. And again, uh, doing some research on the book, the reviews swing back and forth so hard where some people are like, this is the best book in the world. And other people are like, this book needs to be destroyed. Well, uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, really that's the thing is like, there is like, everybody was a teenager at some point. Mm-hmm. And for some, for some people, this speaks to who you were at the time, regardless mm-hmm. of when you were a teenager. Yeah. And for some people, it doesn't. Like, for some people, this is not what their teenage experience was like. And then it's like just looking at a, it must be like just looking at a blank piece of paper. <laughs> it's like, there's nothing here. Who am, what am I hooking onto here? There's nothing. Yeah. Matthew? We are all an endless spectrum of people we used to be. And, Several of the people that I used to be will tell you that this is an amazing book. But here's the 411 from 45-year-old Matthew. 
I say all the time that I am not a fan of Marvel or DC or Spider-Man or a particular character. I am a fan of comics. And as a fan of comics, this is good comics. This is good storytelling. It's interesting art. It's compelling, awful characters that you don't like, you don't support, you don't want to spend time with, and yet you're compelled to keep reading about their tiny, awful, little desperate lives. And in a lot of ways, this is really one of the books where I, as a younger me, realized that comics could be used to tell stories more than Batman must climb higher blood flooding chest cavity. And that is something that I really would, I would recommend to people just to get a feel for it. You may love it. You may hate it. You probably won't fall anywhere in between because I've never met anyone who's just like, eh. I feel like the, the coloring in this volume, the art in this volume is just amazing. The yeah. story, the story is kind of a meandering in and out day-to-day mundanity of life thing, which, you know, independent comics get a lot of bad rap and they take a lot of crap for just being, well, here's just the story of what happened to me one day. This book manages to make more of that while still kind of just tying itself to these are things that happened to Enid one day. And she found a record that she loved when she was a child and it made her cry and she woke up and tried to learn how to drive and all of it, you'll, for me at least, you'll find yourself drifting in and out of really caring, but it's always worth getting to the end and having the experience and, and, and going, okay, that was Ghost World. Do I hate it? I'm going to add a third voice to the choruses of, well, I didn't hate it. <laughs> okay. All right. it, doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me the way it once did. But it once did, and it may to you, and I say, go read it. In a very worst-case scenario, it's almost certainly in your library. I would, I would imagine that it is in the library, although I do believe that this is a book that may be rather hard to find. I'm pretty sure you can get some copies up on Amazon, and mm-hmm. if you use that Amazon link, then you can, uh, at Major Spoilers, you can certainly help us out. But I was remembering if I was trying to see... I know this isn't available digitally from Comixology. It is available um, used over on Amazon, and there are several copies there, uh, so you can go pick it up. This was adapted into a movie, too, and a lot of people will uh, mm-hmm. love, 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 love the movie. So, Baby Black Widow's in the movie. Yeah, so if you uh, want to go check out uh, Steve Buscemi uh, as a Young Black Widow, uh, you can definitely <laughs> go see that in this movie. Um, are you high right now? <laughs> maybe. Uh, but, uh, yeah, definitely go, go check that out. All right, everybody, that wraps it up for this issue. Thank you so much for listening, being part of the major spoilers experience. If you found some entertainment, some value, some kind of uh, fun in this uh, podcast or anything that we do at major spoilers, be sure to become a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. You can contribute as little or as much as you like. And depending on your level of contribution, you'll get some extra bonus stuff along the way. That's patreon.com slash major spoilers. We'll be back next week to talk about Earth X because apparently you guys hate us and voted for that. But, <laughs> Why uh, do you hate us? But you know what? what? We, we you showed what? you nothing but love. We love comics and we know that you do too. And we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. I don't care if the Hulk could defeat the man. 
podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.